Search engine marketing formulated for Web 2.0. Find it here every week on SEM Synergy. Join your host as we learn from the elite of search engine marketing pros and find the winning formula for exceptional search engine marketing. Get the latest news, trends, and analysis in SEO, PPC, branding, SEO design, and analytics. Now, welcome your host, a founding father of SEO and an accomplished search engine marketing scholar, the host of SEM Synergy, Bruce Clay. Hello and welcome to SEM Synergy. This is Bruce Clay, Inc.'s weekly digital marketing podcast, and I'm Virginia Nussie, the content manager at the company. We've got a very special show for you today. Actually, news came out of State of Search Conference in Dallas yesterday. Dwayne Forrester, former face of Bing, uh, a senior product manager in the Bing ecosystem we've had on the show before, who is the spokesperson for Bing at conferences and helps bridge the gap between what happens at the search engine and the SEO community. Well, he stepped down from Bing a few weeks back. He announced yesterday that he is going to be the new VP of organic search operations here at Bruce Clay Inc. And something we're so excited about because of everything it's going to bring our offerings for our clients and that kind of knowledge is basically indispensable. I have a long show for you today. It's an exclusive interview with Dwayne. Um, he sat down with us in the Simi Valley office earlier this week to talk about a lot of topics that are really interesting to SEOs. And we've split it up into three parts. First up, though, let's talk about his passion for small businesses and helping businesses. And he's going to kind of describe some of the early days of SEO and how that, you know, colored uh, the history of where we are today. So with that, take it away, Dwayne. Your blog post. Yes. You say that you you come from a family that ran a small business, and it's mm-hmm. very focused on your excitement for the small business community. Yes. So, um, what excites you about working in a small business environment? So yeah, I um, uh, you know, my parents ran a motel for sixteen years. In fact, I was nine years old. I went to Greece with my uncle, and I was there for a month. And when I came home, my parents had bought the motel. Oh. Obviously, when you're nine years old, you're not really involved in those conversations. You know, looking back on it, I know they must have been doing a lot of work before that. But again, I was nine years old and I didn't realize it. From that time until I moved away, you know, we we ran a family-run business. Um, my mom worked for a bank. My dad ran the business and we did everything. He was an electrician by trade. So we did it all. Clean the swimming pool, tiles on the roof, plumbing, carpentry, painting, uh, checking people in, cleaning rooms, laundry, you name it. Whatever it needed doing, you did it because that's what it was. I didn't know any different when I was younger. It was just what you did. I mean, that was it. Now I realize that that's the many hats that a small business owner wears, right? You have to do all of those things because they need to get done and you're the one to do it. But I ended up with uh, I ended up with um, a slightly different childhood, I guess, as a result of that. Because while all my friends were going away to the beach and hanging out for the day and whatnot, I was busy at chores. I had things to do and work to get done. And then at the end of the day, things tended to equalize a little bit because, you know, I was always the kid that had the extra $20 in their pocket mm. and a vehicle with a full tank gas tank in it because that was my reward for doing all of that and being supportive and helping and I look back on it as a very fond time in my life because it was really interesting to meet in the hospitality industry. It was very interesting to meet people from all over the world and talk about their experiences and learn from them. You know, going through all of that, also watching my parents run the business and what it took to do that. 
you know, as I got older, they would go away on vacation and I would do everything. I would run all of it from reservations to everything. The, the employees, I would manage all of it. I would manage the money, the deposits, everything. And, and it's, it seems like it's a lot. And I look back on it and it was just like step A, step B, step C, step D. You just do them in order and you check everything off and then you're done for the day. And that was it. But it left me with a very clear understanding of how small business works and what it takes to run small business. So throughout my career, you know, as I, uh, when I first got out of university, I worked for um, Caesars Palace in Canada. So that's not really a small company, but it was very much a startup in the area. They were the first casinos essentially in Canada. And, and so it was very much like we did not have, you go to a casino in Las Vegas, they have a players program where you get a card and it's an affinity program. And, and as you play, you accumulate points essentially on the card and you can use those for free parking, free meals and so on. We didn't have that. We had to develop that on our own. And I actually developed that program for those casinos. And that meant getting all of the local vendors to come in and agree to actually giving us their products at discounted rates in exchange for the guarantee that theirs would be the product represented in the program and, and so on. And so that took a lot of negotiating and that took a lot of kind of quid pro quo and back and forth. During that time, I happened to be in an area, one of the casinos was located in the area I grew up in. So I got to spend time with my folks and kind of help them out a little bit and, you know, do my job. And when I left the casino, I came to a small startup and that startup was a sports content publisher. I want to say 2001, but I can't remember clearly. Um, in any event, I started with a company and, uh, I was the marketing manager. You know, we did, uh, the usual online stuff. I ran contests for them was kind of a big deal for them. And at the casino, I had a background in running contests. So I knew all the legalities in North America, the things you could do, which states had which laws and whatnot. Uh, that company was actually very firmly rooted in, um, uh, in sports betting. So that was where we really started to see the beginning of things like pay-per-click advertising with goto.com, which became Overture, which then, you know, was purchased by Yahoo. And those were the days of penny-click ads, and you would leave your Amex open for the weekend, and you'd come in, and there were 100,000 clicks that came through, and, you know, you made $6 million in revenue over the weekend. And it was easily, easily the best marketing money you could ever spend. And that was just before AdWords got started as well. So when AdWords came on the stage, we were dabbling a little bit in the world of SEO. And so at that time, I was managing both of those things. Social hadn't really hit the scene yet. Facebook, Twitter, those things weren't around. LinkedIn really hadn't popped up yet. And and so social was more the like a, a bulletin board where you would go online to a discussion forum and talk. That was really the only social communication that was happening. So it wasn't really something you marketed in. Pretty much everyone had their own rules and regulations around what you could do and say in those areas. Uh, we started dabbling in SEO and learning all of this, you know, and these are the days when we were all hiding behind handles. We wouldn't talk about who we were with our real names. So I was sports guy. That's, that's who I was. Um, not because I'm into sports, but because I worked for a sports company. And, um, and so we had, uh, you know, we, we, we started doing the work. Eventually I hired someone to do the paid side because the paid side was much more scientific. It was much easier to teach someone and say A plus B equals C. And when it doesn't equal C, then you need to reduce A. And this is, this is how this flows. It's substantially more complex today on the paid side. SEO was that dark art that was pretty squishy and it wasn't quite clear. And 
nobody really wanted to say what worked and what didn't work. So you kind of nibbled around the edges and come to your own conclusions. And then eventually a few of us just started getting frustrated and saying, you know, this is never going to work if we don't just say out loud what these things are and start sharing these ideas. And interestingly enough, at that same time, you know, this is when, you know, Brett Tapke was really active and Danny Sullivan was just getting started. And all of these things kind of came together where everybody stepped forward in this, this one kind of two year period where we all came out from behind our handles and became who we were and then just started talking openly about these things. During that time, um, AdSense or AdWords came online and Google made the decision that they weren't going to accept revenue from companies associated with internet gambling. They didn't want to lose the revenue we were generating for them. Uh, we didn't want to lose the traffic, but the, the terms and conditions kind of precluded it. Their solution was a little bit too much work. We didn't really want to take it on, and we didn't feel that it was the best way to do it. So we opted to cut back the spending and ramp up the SEO. And and so then I was leading that. I was leading the team of uh, pay-per-click folks. And you know, you're talking, I was number 13 in the company. Like It was a really small company. But they were doing, when I left, we were, we were doing like $15 million a year in ad revenue. and like So it was a good company. It was a good, viable business. Uh, that company was actually recently purchased for, I think, $54 million. So, you know, props to the team because they continued to do good work and it worked out well. What was that company? Uh, that company is called Sports Direct. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, you know, just a clear leader in their space, um, sports content publishing. You, you, can't, you can't touch these guys. Dedicated group of people, a lot of fun. You know, uh, and it really cemented kind of in my mind that small company startup kind of feel, you know, uh, and, and it was nice. We had a really good time. Uh, we did a lot of good things. It was um, some ups and downs, which happens in every business. I left there thinking, wow, this was kind of awesome. You know, it was that special time and place type thing. And the opportunity came. I had written my first book. Um, I literally wrote my book. It was launched. I went on vacation. And then when I came back from vacation, there was an email from Microsoft. And at first I thought it was a joke. And I, I sent the reply back to the uh, person claiming to be the recruiter. And I said, oh, well, if this is legitimate, call me. And like 15 minutes later, my phone rang. And that took me into the world of Microsoft. And that's been the last eight years of my life. It's been a learning curve. It's very different in a number of ways. Um, but at the scale of the size of that company, everything kind of makes sense. You know, things don't move as quickly, but that's probably a good thing because you've got a lot of people, a lot of resources, a lot of money tied up in it. And if things really move fast, you could lose track of something or something could go off the rails and it could be problematic either in terms of money or in terms of investment or in terms of PR or something. And so, so I kind of had to like, learn to slow down in some ways. You know, my previous company, it was easy to walk into the developer's office and say, Hey, I want to make this change. Can we put this above this in the code and do it? And he would open up the code base for the website, make the change. We would hit F5 on the computer. It would refresh everything. And it was live on the internet. Like if you were watching it at that time, you would see the flip. Like it's that, that was the way it was. And at Microsoft, it is definitively not like that. No one touches anything like that. Mm -hmm. And so there's multiple layers for good reason, right? We need to have those layers of protection when you're at that scale. Mm -hmm. And so there's something about, uh, you know, being able to come back to a role in a small business where, you know, there is a faster twitch muscle in place 
where if you see an idea, you can capitalize on it quickly. You can run down the hall to the development team and say, hey, I've got an idea for a tool. What do we have in the queue right now? That's great. Here's what I think the return is going to look like on this one. If the leadership team in a small company agrees that that's a good idea, by the end of the week, you can have a new tool up and running. It will take you longer to figure out what your marketing plan, your go-to-market plan looks like, and your PR plan. It will take you much more time to figure that out than it will to actually build the tool that you want. And that's exciting because you get to try these ideas out very quickly. And there's a very almost instant feedback you get, a gratification that happens when you say, hey, I think I have a good idea. Let's launch it. And then it takes off. And that's the gratification that you did, in fact, have a good idea. Others agree with you that that was a good idea. Um, and so there, there is that. Um, I have to be honest, I'm also excited about being able to take all of my accumulated experience and use it in new ways, you know, because that's, that's something that's, um, I love helping businesses. Um, I love helping small businesses have that moment where they kind of, they have that aha moment where the light bulb comes on and they say, ah, I can do this. And not only can I do it, but I can do it in minutes a day. Was that not fascinating? We have to take a quick break, but in part two of the interview, Dwayne's going to explain to us his thinking about how SEO helps businesses and I'll also describe what he's going to be doing uh, at Bruce Clay Inc. So stay right there. More SEM Synergies on the way. Don't go away. SEM Synergy will be right back. Reinventing keyword research, simplifying campaign optimization, redefining competitive analysis. SpyFu brings you an entirely new way to find the most profitable keywords for your SEO and PPC campaigns. New tools, new data, and a brand new look. We've streamlined SpyFu so that you can optimize your search engine marketing more efficiently, more accurately, and more intuitively. Visit SpyFu.com, that's S-P-Y-F-U.com, and start downloading your competitors' keywords now. Try it free. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know their SEO experts. But did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Search engine marketing formulated for Web 2.0. You're listening to SEM Synergy on webmasterradio.fm. Welcome back to SEM Synergy. This is Virginia Nessie, and you're joining us for a very special podcast interview with Dwayne Forrester. He's the new VP of Organic Search Operations at Bruce Clay, Inc. Um, In this section of our interview, we're going to ask him about... um, 
his experience at Microsoft and kind of how it's been from speaking from a search engine's point of view um, and also what he's going to be doing at Bruce Clay. So here you go. You know, because that's that's something that's um, I love helping businesses. Um, I love helping small businesses have that moment where they kind of they have that aha moment where the light bulb comes on and they say, ah, I can do this. And not only can I do it, but I can do it in minutes a day. I don't have to pay that random person for this because I can manage it, you know, or they've been managing it, but they're not exactly, they think that the return is there, but they're not so good at it. And you actually have access to the resources that take them from mediocre to excellent. They're very happy with this. Their business is successful because let's face it, you know, a small business owner, they're in their business because they're in their business, not because they woke up one day and said, you know, I'd like to run a party planning business. And along the way, I would like to become an expert in social media, pay-per-click and <laughs> SEO. Like, I think those things go hand in hand, you know, it never happens like that. It always happens. Like I have a party planning business and I, I need more business. How do I get my name out locally? Ah, well, we have a solution for that for you. And this is what it looks like. Some of this you can manage on your own, but with a little bit of investment, you can 10x that return. Like, you will be hiring staff every week. You will be so busy. Hmm. If that's what you like. And you can do that in small business. You can help people that way. Have you had experience doing that? Like, um... Yeah, so there was, um... There was, <laughs> it's funny, there was a, a lady who, um... Uh, my wife was going to her website because she makes custom purses. So this lady would go around to estate sales and buy old material and then would post this up and you could go in and select the different pieces you want against mm -hmm. the different styles that she had mm -hmm. and she would custom make that bag for you. A couple of weeks later, you'd go to the shop and pick it up. I actually went in one day and I was standing around looking at stuff and uh, I happened to meet her and I said, oh, by the way, we got to talk about what I did and, and I said, you know, uh, have you claimed your local listings in Google and Bing? And she's like, I have no idea what that means. And I said, okay, mm -hmm. do you want more traffic through your door? Mm -hmm. She said, well, yes, I always want more traffic to my door. I'm like, great. This is a way for you to do this with about a couple hours of your time at no cost to you. And then you can manage it all. And this will get you more people. And so we actually sat down and walked through one of these and kind of showed her how to do it and whatnot. And she did it. And then she eventually got to the point two years, maybe two and a half years later, where her online business was much more lucrative. Mm -hmm. So she shut down her storefront mm -hmm. and she moved all of her production into a garage she built in her backyard. All of her staff moved over there and they only produce online now. And so, you did that. so I, in a large she part. did that. Right. I, I was, I was a part of the kind of path that got there. Right. And, and that was something that, you know, like. It was a bittersweet moment for her because she'd had her storefront for decades and and now she was kind of moving away from that. And and I looked at it and thought, you're actually catching up with the world, you know? I mean, for me, I, I love that my wife wanted to go out there and do this and match up these pieces and make this custom thing. And I'm all about the, the personalization of stuff in life. I, I fully subscribe to this concept. Oh, it was a pain in the backside to go from where we lived over to this neighborhood. You know, you should go down here and take this highway, and there was always traffic on here, and then it took 20 minutes to get there, and then you'd go over here, and then there was never any parking around there, and then maybe the barbecue place across the street was open, maybe it wasn't, 
So it was always a crapshoot for me whether I liked it or I didn't like it. You know, if the barbecue place was open, I loved it. If it wasn't open, well, then you know, whatever. You know, Donna was happy, I was happy. Um, and so, so you know, this lady has has really kind of embraced you know the modern way of doing business, and and she was very savvy. So many business people are not looking at these metrics. They're looking at baseline metrics that they started with 10 years ago, 15 years ago in their business, and they're still only tracking those things. They're not really getting into what it looks like on the web, what kind of traffic they are generating versus what they could generate. And in fairness, they don't have a lot of time for that. Their job is to run their business, not become an internet marketing expert and figure out, oh, I could get 70% more traffic out of my website if I did A through D. That's not their job. That's why people like us exist, right? That's that's the opportunity to be able to open their eyes on that. And because business owners would like to invest in their business. I mean, it's actually a taxable benefit for them to invest in their business. But but it's the, well, if I invest in my business, will I get a return on it? And they know no one can guarantee it, but they would like people to show up with a high degree of confidence that if we do this, you will be in the net positive. That's what they're really looking for. They'll take the risk but they want to feel confident that you feel good about it. So it sounds like you've thought about a lot about of like what small businesses need to know. Mm-hmm. And I think that small businesses are a group where they have a lot of margin for growth. Yeah. What about, cause we do have a lot of, actually we cater, at Bruce Clay, we cater more towards a large yep. business. Yep. So earlier we talked about, you know, part of the reason that I wanted to come to small business is because of this ability to have a fast twitch muscle to be able to move quickly on something. And that's something that most medium and large businesses struggle with, Mm -hmm. right? It's the nature of growth and protecting assets. That's a good thing in a lot of cases. It's not a good thing in terms of internet marketing. Mm. You have to capitalize quickly. You have to understand how and when to capitalize as well. And a lot of that gets learned hit or miss. So it could take you years to understand how to build a successful pay-per-click campaign or how to integrate SEO and pay-per-click learnings into a joint campaign that gives you long-term benefit with low overhead cost or even what to post socially that actually works for you. Most of these businesses struggle with this. And a lot of time, the approach that's taken is one that is taken to limit risk. So... Well, we don't post anything on social because we don't want to find ourselves in a position where we have a PR nightmare. Mm-hmm. So we avoid it all just in case. Mm-hmm. You know, Starbucks, perfect example. <laughs> hey, here's our new red cups for the season. Yes. Wow, what a crap storm that was. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I haven't really been following, so I don't fully understand it. Starbucks has to deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> to deal with the PR, they have to deal with the, all of it. And not to mention, they have a physical cost invested in those cups that they've had printed. So there's a warehouse somewhere with millions of dollars of those cups sitting in them. And you've got someone in that business is sitting there saying, oh, no, 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 you keep shipping those to those stores. <laughs> yep, you were, were sunk cost on that. We've got to make this work. And, and that is a difficult thing for a business. You know? In some cases, you can predict it, right? Um, if it's something that's cultural and you are international, then you know it pays to do the research about the area you're going into to understand the cultural norms. That's fairly well known. Uh, in other instances like this one, you couldn't have predicted this was going to happen. They've had those cups every year since I knew what Starbucks was. And this year, apparently, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. So you, you never know when that's going to happen. 
Um, and it's the same thing with you never know when an algorithmic update is going to happen and your SEO will be kind of knocked off kilter slightly. Um, or you'll weather the storm just fine, but because you don't know what it means, you're a little bit panicked by it and you want answers, right? Or a lot of times what I had happened when I was at MSN was um, uh, the higher up the stack people got, the smaller the sound bites they consumed of information. Uh, they're extremely busy, so on any one topic that people are working on under their organization, they get very little information on it. And so when an algorithmic change would happen in Google, and we would then get an email from a vice president saying, how does this affect us? I need an answer, and I need it in one paragraph. We haven't even finished doing our research yet to see what, if anything, has been affected by this. We're still getting information in on what the actual change was. I mean, this is five years ago, so at that time, Google was really reluctant to share a lot of details on it. And so it was never easy to then answer the vice president and say, oh, X happened, and here's how we're going to fare, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that still exists today in a lot of companies. It's, it's a natural part of their business, you know? Mm-hmm. Something happens, it pops up, it becomes newsworthy. Everyone looks at it and goes, oh my God, what are we doing? Should we panic? What are we doing? And the phones start ringing and everyone starts panicking. And there's one person in the organization, usually the SEO, who's just kind of shrugging and going, eh, yeah, not to worry, we got this. But that's, that's difficult, you know? It's difficult on a company. It's difficult on the people that are actually in charge and um, the people that are responsible for the growth of a company or responsible for revenue. You know, it's hard to see those things because they feel they're dangerous hits coming their way. It's a whole lot easier with pay-per-click. You don't, those changes don't happen. The changes that tend to happen are more like, we have a policy change. You're not allowed to advertise beef jerky anymore because the FDA has a health requirement. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then you just don't advertise beef jerky anymore. Sucks if you're in the beef jerky business. But generally speaking, everyone else is going to be fine. Or we just know. created a new ad type just for beef jerky. Or, and that's the <laughs> other side to it, which is, hey, now that you've learned our systems, yeah. we've completely changed them. Uh-huh. And everything you thought you were doing great before, eh, it's different now. And here's a document that maybe explains it. <laughs> and, and so, you know, that happens. Um, but again, I, I feel this is more of a... Um, there's more of a science to it, so there's an opportunity to, oh, okay, well, if this is the size of the bread box and I open it up, I can see everything and we're good. I know it can't be outside the back and I know it's not filling out the front and I know it's not out the sides of the top, we're good. Yeah. It's still a mess and confusing in here, but you can figure it out, you know? It's like organizing a dirty room. You, know, you start by picking one piece up and by the end of the day, everything is beautiful. And you're saying this as somebody who works, has worked? at a search engine for eight years oh, yeah. and understands yeah. what's going on more closely yes. than anybody else. It's, it, it's, it's not any easier. So people have this feeling like they, they like to look at the engine and say, oh, how dare you do this to us? You have no idea how hard this is. You know, the engine's a business just like your business is a business, right? They're investing millions of dollars in manpower to make the changes. And they're doing that because... The end goal that they're going for is increased profitability, higher user satisfaction, and a broader acceptance. Along the way, inevitably, the change will upset some people. Some people don't don't like change. They just do not like change. Um, I can generally manage change well, but I still get uncomfortable with it because it's new. And you have to learn something new, and it's just a normal response. Some people take it to a far degree, and that far degree is... Any change I hate, I fear, no, you're wrong, it's bad, it's terrible, I can't believe you do this to me. Other people are at the other end of the spectrum where it's just like, eh, I'm going to learn something new, okay. This is what I do. 
the engines were, were no different. We're aware that that change is going to affect some people more than others. In the large picture of what's being served, that has always tried to minimize that. Always try to minimize that. Whether it's Bing, Google, it doesn't matter who it is. You always try to minimize the pain for anybody using you. Ideally, there will be no pain for anyone, and you will still be able to move forward. That rarely happens. There's usually some kind of fallout from it. Even if it's simply, you know, you have to re-log in again, and you forgot your login, and you got to go through that process and recover it. Something as simple as that. Well, that'll trip some people up, and it'll throw them over the edge, you know? Other people, is just like, oh, whatever, I don't care. Like, I have it memorized. I'm that kind of person. Type it in, off I go. And, oh, look, there's a new interface. All my campaigns came over. They're all fine. We're ready to go, right? You know, on the paid side, uh, one of the biggest concerns uh, that, that engines typically have will be, you know, if there is a change that requires any migrating of, of um, data, of uh, actual campaigns and whatnot, mm-hmm. that that is as smooth and transparent as possible. Because the last thing you want to do is tell someone who's paying you tens of thousands of dollars a month and is on a steady keel, driving traffic, trying to optimize. They're at the fine-tuning stages here. Oh, yeah, you got to start over. Yeah, you gotta you got to rebuild all that. Mm-hmm. Like, I hope you got backups for all the ads and the words that you used and the characters you used because we don't have those for you, and you've got to rebuild it in our new system. That'd be like, enraging. That would be frustrating. Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, like... That is, you definitely want to stay away from that extreme, if at all possible. Um, which then brings up other problems. Like, if you have a lot of people that will be affected by this, and they are, they are high-dollar accounts that you absolutely need to not have that happen to, it generally means that now you actually have to put a lot of resources into managing all of that. And if those resources are managing all of that translation, they're not managing new product. They're not building new things and bringing them to market. Because while Google or Bing may be a large company and have lots of people, it's not unlimited. And so if all the resources are aligned on something, those new features that you say you want, they wait. That's, that's the nature of it. So big or small, you know, the companies hit those limits. Um, but it is, um, uh, it's, I think it's an incredibly exciting time uh, for businesses with the tools that are available, the systems that are out there. Um, you know, being able to target people in Facebook Ah, this is going to change how pay-per-click works in the future because it's going to force Google, Bing, Yahoo, everybody to get really, really deep and crisp on how you segment audiences and how you target audiences and what data is available in those tools to help me maximize my spend on pay-per-click. Part of the reason I wanted to come to Bruce Clay is the brand is well-respected. It's well-known. It's actually very good in this space. And... I, I feel I can say that given the exposure I've had over, you know, 18 years of being involved in this and seeing things grow. And the culmination of that was launching Webmaster Tools in 2012 for Bing. It's huge success, popular, well-used, good tool set. And so I also now have grown this desire to build good tools. And I think I'm capable. Like I, I feel we've done good work at Bing, so I'd like to bring that that talent over and look at these opportunities and say, hey, you know what, we've got a great tool set here. What else could we do? What else do businesses use? How could we bring more information, more useful information? All of that, of course, accrues to the bottom line of Bruce Clay. And I mean, I'm here. I'm an employee. I'm excited to be here. Like, I want the business to be more successful. And so I want us to invest in these things. There was a ton of information and insight there. We do have more for you. And this last piece, we're going to talk about 
Dwayne's experience with working with competitors at Microsoft. He's sounds like he's actually kept a really close eye on Google's moves, as you would if you're in this industry. So stick around for more with of that after this quick break. Don't go away. SEM Synergy will be right back. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Is buying something that is made in the USA important to you? How do you know that it really is made in the USA? Certified Inc. is the only supply chain audit company on the planet which qualifies country of origin labeling. If it's important to you as a consumer to know where the products you buy and use in your own home come from, then it's also important for your customers. Visit us at madeinusa.net and find out more. Go to madeinusa.net because it's that important. Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix, So Social, the new and revolutionary way to easily manage and automate your Facebook contest and sweepstakes. Create a fun, easy-to-win contest by writing a simple Facebook post. Watch your post go more viral and generate loads of interaction. Track your traffic and generate email lists with ease. So Social is mobile-friendly and complies with Facebook terms of service. Let So Social give your Facebook page some flash today. Zoom over to zosocial.com. Search engine marketing formulated for Web 2.0. You're listening to SEM Synergy on webmasterradio.fm. Welcome back to SEM Synergy. All right, we're talking to Dwayne Forrester, and in this final piece of our interview, I asked him about his thoughts on Google, which he's now more free to share, and also where he sees SEO evolving and how it's evolved to this point. So with that, Dwayne Forrester. We know you know everything about Bing. How often do you use Google? You kind of touched on this where you mm-hmm. say, I didn't have a lot of opinions on Google, and I wasn't sure if you meant oh, no, no, just no. out vocal ones that you right. vocalize. I have a lot of opinions, uh-huh. not ones that I vocalize publicly. Mm-hmm. Luckily, throughout my career, I've managed to cultivate a lot of really good personal relationships with people, so I can kind of get my angst out just by talking to friends. And, you know, I, I feel like I've shared and, and we're good. Um, but now I'm in that position where I can actually share my opinion publicly and it it may have an impact on businesses in in being able to help them, whether it's recover from something, understand something or avoid something. So, so that's always good. Um, but, uh, Google, how frequently do I use Google? I use Google every day. I mean, you know, it's one thing that's a bit of a misconception with Microsoft is people think that, you know, you go in and, um, you know, there's a requirement, either a firm requirement or a loose requirement, that you are aligned with the entire stack that is Microsoft only. And there's nothing further from the truth. Microsoft is a very open and diverse company. Um, most of the people that I work with have iPhones, 
Android devices. We are encouraged to try everything. There's a group within the company called Device Lab, and their only job is to stock every possible device that is available today to a consumer so that employees can go in and check them out for two and four weeks at a time to understand what that experience is like on the competitor's product, mm. right? That is why I know I will not own an Android phone because I had one for six weeks and I lived with it. it I am not as productive on an Android phone as I am on a Windows device. The reason that I don't have an iPhone, and trust me, I priced one up a few weeks ago, I can't wrap my head around $1,000 for it, but besides that, my struggle with it is that five and a half years ago, six years ago, when I first moved here, I went and got the then-new 3GS, okay? Mm, this is old school, okay? The interface on that phone is virtually identical to today's. Their UX hasn't moved forward in a half a dozen years. And I have a problem with that, because when you look at the Windows Phone interface, the ability to right-size tiles for the importance I put on them when I put it on them is a huge asset in speeding ease of access to different areas mm. versus, well, here's a folder that has everything related to photography, and now I go into that, and then I have to look for this icon for the one item that I want to use on my camera to take the photos that I want to take them. Okay, so you missed that shot 17 times before you found the item that you wanted on it. Uh, it doesn't happen. You know, you know, there is an app gap. That's fine. The fact of the matter is most people don't use most of the apps on their phone anyhow. They buy them 30 days later, 70% of what they bought, they never use again. So is there really an app gap? I don't know. But I can tell you this. On a Windows device, there is a lot better productivity than on either one of the two other major OSs that are out there. Twice now I've turned down opportunities to get a OnePlus One, whether it was the OnePlus One or the OnePlus Two, because those are built on... Uh, Cyanogen, which is a mod of Android, and Android's okay, but it's not that great. And so, you know, it can be a little glitchy at times, run a little slow. I've noticed that productivity and being able to do things in it, it's not as intuitive. Mm. So, um, so yeah, I mean, do I use other things? Yeah. I am, Gmail was launched, and within six hours of Gmail being launched, I had my two accounts. And I am hardcore Gmail user. Use Calendar, use pretty much everything that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as search goes, I always check Google because I'm always curious about what we're looking like head to head, you know. And there are differences, and sometimes it's negligible. It's like you just don't see it, and a difference shows up on page three. Other times it's glaring, and you're kind of wondering, like, why the discrepancy here, you know. And in fact, it's the algorithm and the signals that it has tailoring things differently. Sometimes it's personalization having an effect as well, but. But generally speaking, it's like, all right, I've got, you know, the answer I need, so I'm happy with that, right? Um, you know, there are things that Google does that I'm, I'm always intrigued by and always happy with, like the ability to, they're very good with focusing on speed, which is very, like, you get a lot of satisfaction from a uh, searcher when you increase speed. So they've, they've gone very, very far down that road to focusing on themselves increasing speed, and then they push that out on the businesses saying page load time matters. So, of course, now everyone needs to toe that line. Um, let's face it. It matters. It should always matter. No person wants to be frustrated because it just took so effing long for a page load. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, maybe that's AT&T or Verizon or Sprint that's the actual problem. But, you know, if you can, if you can get fast at the front and you can get fast at the back... Well, whenever the middle is fast, then everything will be blazing fast. 
right? And and that's that's a good goal to have. I also maybe want to talk about the evolution of SEO. Um, the evolution of SEO has been very interesting, right? We we went from this, as we talked about earlier, this arcane group of you know usernames online who wouldn't share anything openly with each other, to now we have you know. A $20 billion a year industry largely predicated around conferences where all we do is go and tell each other exactly what works. And there's a lot less us and them with the search engines. Still exists and always will. Um, But let's face it. We are now capable of having open conversations with a search engine. And the search engine is capable of admitting that it's made a mistake. And kind of fixing that. You know? Um, And and that, I think, that what, is huge. And what's, when did that happen? It's happened over time. There's not a point in time where it flipped, right? Uh, the beginning of it was Matt Cutts. That was definitely the beginning of, uh, of the approachability era, we'll call it. Um, but we'll, we'll have to air quote that whole concept, right? Because it's not like you just walk up to Matt and ask him a question and get a clear and concise answer a lot of times. Um, but over time, as the engines understood the value of having that person interacting at the conferences with businesses to help guide thinking, to help guide investment, guide ideas, they realized that that was actually paying a benefit to them. So it was worth engaging with them. Now, we have kind of a bit of a seesaw on this. We're at a point where SEO is a, it's much better known. Like We know what to invest in. We know what to work. Uh, we know what to avoid. Um, there's still a lot of businesses and companies that struggle with these things. You know, like you can tell anybody, and I do this frequently. Um, you know, hey, the best practices are all available freely online. Go ahead, look it up. You can teach it yourself. It's simple. Go for it. And it doesn't matter. They're still going to look at you and say, "But I've got ten thousand dollars, and I want you to do it." Okay, great. Uh, that that works for me too. Um, and that's the reality of where we're at today. Um, SEO is a, like all marketing functions, this is a, it's a support function to a business. And so its job is to be there as a part of the entire marketing mix. For some companies, it is the entire marketing mix. It makes total sense in some cases. In other companies, it's just one lever they can pull on. And so you have to understand how you can help them to do the best they can with the investment they're making, but that it fits in with everything else. So the, the maturity that we're seeing now is we're seeing that you know, SEO, you're seeing job titles um, that are built around SEO that are very high-level job titles, so C-suite, directorships, these kinds of things. And they've been around for a lot of years now, but now we actually have the, we're at that table, right? People don't go do things and then say, oh, can you SEO this for me? You know, it's we're going to build someone. We need the team to come together. And on that team, you have finance, you have development, you have content, you have SEO, you have paid search, you have PR, you have social media. This is the launch team now for a lot of businesses. And that's a big change because it means they're building better products out of the gate. No question about it. Um, We will continue to see this change. Technical SEO is becoming clearer. Uh, in that we understand very clearly what to avoid. We understand that technical SEO is more technical than ever before. Um, It is not something that just anyone can pick up and learn in minutes a day over a couple of weeks. You actually have to have a firm understanding of everything from information architecture to social engineering in order to fully affect SEO. And as that continues to become more important, the 
bringing together of these pieces, the consolidating of these things to drive the bottom line results of a business, SEO will become more and more a core concept in this. Now, what's important for SEOs is understanding that by an SEO's very nature, if you are drawn to the world of SEO, you are curious. You're a bit of a boundary pusher. You're not afraid to go and dig around and stuff, figure out how things work. You know, you're the kid in the 70s who disassembled the radio, took it all apart, then reassembled it, and did that 15 times until you got it working again. That's who SEOs are today. And those are the people who usually end up getting all the crazy conversations that come up in a business. Whether it's anything from social media to um, you know, usability to conversion optimization to all of these things where when you go in and talk to a business and say, you need to work on conversion optimization. You don't need SEO. You've got plenty of traffic coming in. You rank well. You've got all these keyword phrases that match your content well. You have a conversion problem. When you say that to them, the first thing they think of is, oh, well, who can fix our conversion problem? Well, where's the traffic coming from? It's coming from search. Okay, give it to the SEO person. There you go. Golden opportunity for an SEO to then go out and apply that same level of inquisitiveness and curiosity dig deep, understand the concepts of conversion optimization, bring them back in, and then say, hey, you know what? If we apply these usability tactics and we actually focus in these areas and we get rid of this, this, and this, we can probably increase that conversion rate. Let's do an A-B test and see what happens. You've covered a lot of ground that people in the company will look at you and say, oh, A-B testing, usability work, conversions, bottom line revenue, testing. They love these approaches. And so that's where I think um, we're going to see a lot more growth in SEO. Mm -hmm. It's going to expand. There's no question. Mm -hmm. uh, eventually, we will get to a point where technical SEO will be a very small box. It will be understood, and it will be easier for businesses to implement. That's not to say they still won't have problems, because every business that goes out creates a space for themselves, builds a website, makes something proprietary, does whatever, inevitably screws some stuff up along the way that harms them. And, of course, they're on the inside. They don't know what it was. So that's where they need the experts to come in and say, ah, here, you need to fix this. But then because everything is so intertwined, it's difficult to pull that one thing out without the whole host of cards coming down. And that's where they need the guidance on how to actually fix things. So SEO will be around for a long time. Um, but it, it is very much more refined today. And we're going to see it continue to get refined. And with that, we conclude our very special interview with Dwayne Forrester, the new Vice President of Organic Search Operations at Bruce Clay, Inc. He's going to be a voice that you're going to be hearing more from, from us here at the company, and we're very excited about it. Thank you for listening to this week's show. Go ahead and check out the blog post that we've got up about Dwayne's new role at the company at bruceclay.com slash blog, and we'll see you again next week for more SEM Synergy. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business -business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program 
are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.